This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. Today's episode of PreserveCast returns to the United Kingdom to open a conversation with Colin and Dan Richards of CJR Heritage, a company that has spanned continents and worked with princes to save priceless heritage. From Transylvania to the Great Wall of China, we're talking with two of England's most accomplished tradespeople about the future of historic trades. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, and we're excited to be joined by two friends from across the pond, um, just outside of Ludlow, Shropshire. They're coming to us live. Uh, We're speaking with both Colin Richards and Dan Richards, built heritage professionals um, who have worked on a variety of fascinating projects all across the world. They were recommended to us by a previous PreserveCast guest. Um, Peter Ginn, who also serves as Preservation Maryland's, uh, which powers PreserveCasts, our first patron um, from the United Kingdom. And so we're excited to have them here with us today. So this, you know, um, we've got father and son here today talking to us about all of this work. And I thought maybe we would start with um, Colin to kind of set the set the stage and, and then that'll kind of lead into Dan. So Colin, where did you grow up? What led you working to working in historic building conservation? Where where was the where was the impetus for this, and what was your first real job in the field? Uh, my father was um, um, a building contractor, specialising in traditional skills and restoring the vernacular buildings around um, the Welsh border area, and so I grew up. Um, working with him, repairing timber frame buildings and uh, um, uh, churches and and various um, historic buildings. And that really um, set the scene for um, a future career. Um, But at the time, I I passed a number of exams and uh, ended up going to university. And I, I studied planning as a first degree. And I was a planning officer in Hereford, um, a, a nearby town uh, where the cattle come from. Um, but it wasn't really, you know, my sort of spiritual home as a profession. And so I went back to university and studied architectural conservation. And um, I came out, worked for a restoration builder for a number of years, and then moved into local government as a conservation officer in Hereford. And then I uh, moved up to South Shropshire to Ludlow, where we have this incredible um, uh, sort of architecture, which time forgot almost. We were far enough away from the big cities so that redevelopment didn't occur during the 1960s and 70s. So we had a lot of traditional buildings and we still had a number of craftsmen um, undertaking traditional skills but they were moving into retirement and so I was able with our museum service to set up a um, conservation training uh, facility at the museum so I was doing my conservation work um, representing the local authority advising people on how to restore buildings but at the same time helping to train the next generation of building professionals um, to undertake this work. So speaking of the next generation, it, he's sitting next to you. 
Um, so people listening can't see it, but, but, but Dan's right there. So, so Dan, did this, you know, not everyone who's, you know, if, if you're, if your dad runs a restaurant, you may not end up in the restaurant business. If your dad's a doctor, you may end up, you know, not being a doctor, but you obviously kind of bought into this. Was that, was that sort of always the case or did you kind of find your way into it? No, not straight away. Um, I wanted to go off and do tree surgery. Um, so I, I went off to college and studied to do that and then realized that wasn't for me and then went on to study horticulture. Um, and I did horticulture for about three years and um, it was good, but it just wasn't really what I wanted to do. I enjoyed it, but uh, I had the opportunity to go back to college again and uh, study carpentry and um, managed to, you know, qualify and then uh, get uh, get into the building trade with uh, my father and my brother um, in the historic buildings. So you, you kind of talked about how you set up this center, and I want to talk about that in a second because there's some parallels here. So Preservation Maryland, we're the statewide group that powers PreserveCast, this podcast, and we have a program in partnership with our National Park Service called the Campaign for Historic Trades, which is an, an effort to try and create trades training opportunities here in the United States. Um, and we're always about 50 years behind where you guys are in the UK when it comes to historic preservation. So, um, you know, we're, we're trying to set up these apprenticeships and, and all these sorts of things that, that has, have existed there for some time. Um, but you guys also, in addition to kind of setting up this program, you have CJR Heritage Services, and you do you sort of run the full gamut on on consultancy and restoration and preservation. Do you have a specific type of resource that you guys like to work on that you're really good at? Is it sort of anything historic? What what periods do you cut yourself off at? Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious what it is you kind of focus in on as a company. Well. When I was um, um, setting up the the training um, facilities, one of the key elements of all historic building um, um, construction is the use of locally occurring materials. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we went back to basics. Um, we um, uh, started, we built a brick kiln and started making bricks for restoration work. Wow. We, we um, had some historic lime kilns locally, which were owned by the National Trust. And we got permission from them to um, bring them back into use and to, re, uh, to fire limestone um, to produce the lime for the restoration work. Um, we have um, a national agency uh, called DEFRA, um, Department for Environment, Rural Affairs and Food, uh, and they were responsible for the landscape. And um, I was able to work with them to reopen some quarries for making uh, the traditional stone or quarrying the traditional stone for, for our use. So once, and, and then with Forestry England, we were able to um, source um, some uh, timber, the oaks, um, where we could sort of cleave them by hand to exactly replicate the original materials that were used in the um, traditional buildings. And through that process and working with carpenters, stonemasons, bricklayers, we were able to um, not only 
um, uh, gain a whole body of knowledge through that process, but to create a, a generation of craftsmen that were able to um, go back to the traditional ways to repair uh, many of the buildings, because we'd had in the post-war period this big push for um, uh, quick construction using concrete, cement, and uh, and so a lot of damage was occurred, uh, had, had occurred. And by the 1980s, it was clear that that technology wasn't um, uh, sort of marrying in with the traditional um, line-based technologies. And so we had a lot of craftsmen who wanted to go back to using the original materials. And through our training programs, we were able to, and working with local colleges, we were able to help to address that need. So how many people have you have you trained? Because I mean, you're talking about quarrying limestone, uh, limestone kilns, you know, brick kilns, this is labor-intensive kind of work. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of people have gone through these programs, or yes. uh, do you have a, yes. a sense of the scale? Uh, probably. Oh, gosh, it, uh, we've been doing it for um, 30 years. So in that time period, it would be in the thousands, actually. Um, but um, um, one of the things that uh, um, came out of this was that um, the brick kiln, building the brick kiln, uh, and this is how I met Peter, um, was that uh, it gained a lot of publicity because going back to making bricks in the handmade way in the uh, 1990s was news, and so it was featured on um, BBC News. And um, I then... Um, um, achieved an internet profile of making bricks and um, I then had a phone call from the Prince's Trust um, and Prince Charles wanted me to go out to Romania um, to the Saxon Village's World Heritage Site and build some brick kilns out there because they couldn't get the bricks or tiles for repairing the buildings on this World Heritage Site. So in um, 1996 we went out and Dan came out and my and my other son. Um, and so we we built a, quite a few brick kilns in Romania for making um, traditional bricks. And from there, went to Poland um, doing the same. And uh, eventually, um, a couple of years ago, um, they had a major problem on the Great Wall in China where they couldn't get the bricks as were produced in the Ming dynasty during the mid-16th century. So I was asked to go out there and uh, make bricks and fire bricks for restoration in the Great War. So just from one little acorn of, you know, sort of helping to conserve, you know, the, the buildings in our neighbourhood, you ended up, or I ended up having the opportunity to work on the Great Wall in China. It's fascinating. What a what a what an expansive story. And um, you you sort of dropped in there. I mean, we're 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 all eyes are on the on the monarchy today as uh, we're we're celebrating the Queen's Jubilee. Um, uh, and uh, you you sort of just sort of mentioned in there that that Prince Charles was interested in doing something. Did you actually get to meet him and talk with him? Oh yes, yes, we we met him a number of times both here and in Romania and 
because he um, helped fund the first kiln we we made, and um, he's incredibly knowledgeable on traditional skills. And um, he um, came out, and one of the the things, obviously, there's a lot of security that uh, um, goes around uh, with Prince Charles, and so. When we were building the kiln, we were working with local um, workers, but we weren't allowed to say um, that the Prince Charles was coming or that there'd be security. And so, you know, we were working, building, laying bricks in clay and lime and whatever. And I knew what time he was coming, uh, but nobody else did. And then for these local workers, suddenly out of the bushes, comes the future king of England, who they recognised. Um, and they all got in the middle of the kiln and started bowing. And uh, it was just a surreal moment, really. But uh, um, he was so nice and so nice with them and uh, really appreciative of the work uh, that they were doing to conserve their own heritage. Well, now I can say because of Preserve Guys, I have one degree of separation from the future king of England. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> so, um, so, so, Dan, you've been with your dad on, on these journeys. I'm curious about Eastern Europe. So you've been to Romania, Poland, Slovenia, um, Slovenia. And I'm curious, uh, have you thought at all? I mean, I, this kind of, I haven't, didn't, didn't prep you guys for this question, but everything in the, 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 the terrible tragedy unfolding in Ukraine, is there a thought in the traditional trades community about the the eventual restoration and, and rehabilitation of historic resources in Ukraine? Have you talked to people there, given your, I figure given your background in Eastern Europe, you, you might be plugged into that conversation? Yeah, there's definitely been um, some ideas bounced around really um, on what we can do to help us, you know, you know, everyone's looking to help where they can with the terrible situation. So yeah, it's been it's been mentioned. Um, you know, once it's calmed down a bit, of uh, what we can do to you know help preserve and uh, yeah look after the buildings over there as well as the people as best we can. And you focus more on carpentry. So yes. how did you? And that kind of makes sense, right? Because you were interested in 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 repairing trees, and now you just make things out of trees. So um, you you kind of started you you're talking about tree surgery, right? It was was it was so, but now you you don't do tree surgery, but you kind of put old trees together. Um, yeah, well, it it all comes it's, it all comes into one one skill really because um, we've done a lot of greenwood structures um, for different festivals. We've um, building out of roundwood timber, so we can go off into the forest and I can fell the trees and machine them up and then be able to put them into use in a building um, from that location um, locally. Well, maybe this is a good place to take a quick break, come back, talk about some of your favorite projects, what you're working on, what the future holds, not only for CJR, but just traditional trades in the United Kingdom um, and around the world for that matter. And we'll do that right here in PreserveCast. Historic preservation can't happen without skilled tradespeople to perform the work and there's a critical need right now for those tradespeople. The Campaign for Historic Trades, powered by Preservation Maryland, is working to meet that need by strengthening apprenticeship opportunities within historic trades. In partnership with the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center and Conservation Legacy, 
The campaign is currently recruiting for NPS Traditional Trades Apprenticeship Program, or TTAP. TTAP is an intensive 20-week apprenticeship that provides young adults the chance to learn historic trade skills while working on America's most iconic historic sites. Multiple positions are open for the 2022 season at national parks across the country. Visit historictrades.org for more information on TTAP and how to apply today. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast today. We're excited to be joined by two friends coming to us uh, from um, England. We're talking with Dan Richards and Colin Richards um, about all the work that they've done to advance the traditional trades and how one brick kiln um, led to not only working with the future king of England, but also getting them all the way across to um, the Great Wall of China and, and sort of everything in between in Eastern Europe. Um, you've worked on, I mean, it must be at this point, collaboratively, hundreds, if not thousands of projects over the years. Are there ones that stand out, early ones where you learned a lot or ones that were really challenging or ones that you're really proud of? Are there standout projects that even amongst this long list of projects you you still kind of hold on to as, as favorites? I mean, and that, that goes for either. Maybe we'll start with Colin and then go to Dan. Well, I, I think one of the, the things throughout all these projects is that you've got the, the technical side of it, but you've also got the human element too. And um, the, if you have a skill or a craft – it's like having a language, really. You can communicate with, with, with almost anyone. And having this shared endeavor, working on a project together and actually uh, achieving something, that is the main um, uh, feeling of satisfaction, really, that you, you've helped someone um, to uh, have um, a better life, either to um, earn extra money through an additional skill or through improving their own environment. And uh, one of the projects that um, we did was we um, built a bridge in uh, a village called Viscri in Romania. Um, and um, we had to span this um, water course. And um, it was... Um, a combined endeavor because we've also learned a lot as well you know we, it's not just a one-way street you know we we come away having learned uh, a great deal and um, we had to drive these um, probably um, sort of 12 inch um, diameter oak stakes into the ground and we thought we're never going to do that and um, one of the local lads um, set up this tripod and we had the um, the front weight of um, a, a Russian tractor over a pulley and we all just like the Egyptian pyramids we all got on this um, rope pulled it up over the stake and dropped it down and we were able to drive these piles in through teamwork and to um, create the, 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 the basis for then building the bridge over this watercourse and that, that was a very memorable one. Um, you touched on Ukraine and, and one of the sad things um, was that um, I went out to the Polish-Ukrainian border um, to um, work 
helping um, build um, the clay straw houses that they have out there. Um, and um, to, to both um, learn the technology so that our own housing associations here could consider um, building in the, the, the very locally occurring material, but also to, to help conserve there. And, and again, the hospitality that we were shown and the, um, the type of places that we worked in, sadly, you now see on the TV, you know, being sort of recklessly damaged. And, and that's really sad for us. But um, also, um, you know, as, as Dan said, you know, we, we have... Uh, a lot of friends in Romania um, who they're also looking towards seeing how they could help because that whole tract of Central Europe, the architecture and the um, construction techniques are all very, very similar. So the skills are portable across borders. Um, Dan, what's what's been your favourite? Um, well, the work out in Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe has been definitely some of the more challenging logistically but also the the work the skills and equipment you've got over there so over here we can go to the local sawmills get timber machines straight up and it's no problem it's done in a day over there you're dealt with what you've got to hand really so the timber could be well oversized and you've got to axe it down and cut it on site um and that definitely brings a bit of team bonding together when uh, we're all having a laugh and uh, a joke and like like dad says it doesn't matter that you can't speak each other's languages because we both know uh what the end result is of machining this timber by hand down um, one of the main projects that we've worked on is a, a big fortified church in Alma V. Um, and that was about four years in the making, that, the project. Um, and we, we went in right at the start to help um, advise and work with the locals from the foundations to the roof to loads of different areas. Um, and then in the UK, it'd be... There was a, a little thatch cottage just outside of Ludlow that we uh, restored, um, and that was a full overhaul. And we got an award for uh, best restoration that year for um, a holiday let and uh, a conservation uh, award as well. So that's probably been my favourite UK project. Fascinating work, and I, I, I was going to ask you if you can speak Romanian or Polish or anything like that. And you, you must, you must have some broken polish after all these years but we, we can get by certainly uh in in romania we know we know the names of all the tools and um the food and the meal times and and we can we can get by one of the things that um you you're um sort of not prepared for but it's one of the the you know the the joys of it is um the the different um uh, sort of traditions and belief systems that different groups have that you're working with. Um, because when we were um, working uh, in, in this fortified church, um, they'd had a lot of um, uh, rabbits. You get rabbits in the States 
Oh yeah. But yeah. Well, the the rabbits had um, dug up the bones of uh, ancient burials, and um, uh, we were working there. You know, sort of three, four o'clock, and uh, we'd noticed we were there on our own, um, and. We, we hadn't seen the local people disappear, but as soon as the the light started to to come down, they wouldn't work in the church where there were uh, exposed bones or anything. Um, and it took a while for us to understand that it was that that was uh, the uh, the issue. And um, when um, when I was in China, um, they um, thought that everybody in the West. We're, we're, we're big drinkers. And um, at lunchtime, um, the, um, the, uh, we were up on the top of the wall on this mountain and they uh, brought this big table up and they lined up all these little shop glasses full of this rice spirit. And um, I, I said what was going on and uh, they said it's a drinking competition uh, between you and our best drinker from the village. And uh, I thought, I can't do that. And uh, they said, yes, but you're from the West. You, you drink a lot. I said, no, well, I don't mind having one, but I'm not going to you know, <laughs> sort of have 20 or 30. And uh, he said, yeah, but it's a competition. And I said, look, you know, there's a bit of a misunderstanding here. I'll have a drink with you, but I, I'm not drinking that quantity. That's that is an outstanding. I didn't know we were going to get into a Chinese drinking competition on this episode, but 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 you've taken <laughs> us there. Um, I'm curious, you know, we obviously we're, we're broadcasting here from recording from the United States. Have you come over to the U.S. to do any projects? No, no, we've never been to the States. But we'll have to we'll have. Have you ever actually been over to the U.S. at all? No. Oh, well, we need to figure out a way to get you over here and work on something, because as I mentioned, we've got this, you know, this trades program that we're trying to get off the ground that is a a partnership with our National Park Service. And I'm curious, you know, given all that you've seen and all that you've done in in kind of creating trades programs, is there are there any gems of advice that you would give to people not only here in the U.S., but across the world that are thinking of trying to start these up? Were there pitfalls? Were there things that you wish you had known kind of going into it? Um, and maybe what what accounts for for the success that you've had? Um, I, I think basically it's um, it's showing respect um, to the people you're working with because quite often um, we're working with uh, existing craftsmen who um, have built up a body of knowledge. Um, they're 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 proud people and they just want to learn that extra layer of information relating to traditional buildings. And um, if you can um, establish the human dynamic of of, um, working together, sharing knowledge, sharing information, and and say from the outset that you're hoping to learn from them as well, then it takes down barriers and uh, it becomes a, a, a mutual process of learning. And that has been um, particularly successful in in um, uh, Eastern Europe and, and China um, because you're not um, sort of imposing this um, sort of teacher-pupil relationship. Um, but with the younger students, um, um, it's... 
it's carrying them with you, showing um, in small steps um, what they can achieve um, with their own hands and uh, giving them encouragement, uh, not expecting them to be a cabinet maker at the end of the first week, but but doing it in a, a sort of gradual process, building up their confidence and uh, praising them when they um, that they get things right. And, but also uh, being very clear if things aren't good enough that you've got to try harder. And when, and when they do and they make success, that's when they get the praise. So it, it, it's, it's, you know, the basic sort of human skills of communication, as well as the knowledge of the technical subjects you're dealing with. I think it came across as well a lot when um, there's uh, there's such thing as the world iron smelting competition. So when you have to make a furnace out of raw materials, clay and bricks, and do an iron smelt, and it can go one of two ways really. You can you can have all the skill and best knowledge going into it, but on the day it can be totally weather dependent, wind the stone you get given and everybody is there to learn and look at other tricks that other people are doing and you know learning from everyone you know you know never too old to learn anything something new so uh it's really just going with an open mind isn't it as well really and yeah well dan touched on the the fact that we do experimental archaeology as well and um um one of the things in, in terms of learning from the past is to understand the industrial processes which created the objects that you'll find in, in the ground when you're doing the archaeology. So uh, one of the things that um, uh, we, we've done recently with Peter's colleague, Alex, um, mm -hmm. I was down at Swansea University. They were celebrating the fact that Swansea in the 19th century was called Copperopolis, which it was the major copper producing centre in the world. And um, so uh, we were asked to go down and smelt some malachite and uh, um, uh, make something out of the, the raw ore and to sort of demonstrate the process. Uh, and we've We've done that with, with iron ore, um, making uh, within a little bloomery furnace, making the um, the iron bloom and then refining it down to, to a bar, which you can then make tools and, and other things out of. But also going back in the processes of finding what materials you need to get to that stage. So then it comes into the charcoal making and um, making your own charcoal in the traditional way to then be able to put into the furnace to then smelt the iron ore. Well, I'm, I'm sure like most listeners, I just want to come and spend like a month with you guys. And uh, I want to participate in this, uh, in the, in the, uh, the, all these different contests that you're talking about too. This sounds like a lot of fun. So um, wh what's next? What's next on the docket? What are you working on now? I mean, obviously, I guess we're coming out of COVID, you know, it feels like maybe we are, maybe we aren't, who knows, but uh uh, what 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 projects are you working on right now? Well, um, I think what COVID has done it's it sort of um, repressed a lot of projects that um, people were you know would would otherwise have um, implemented. So we've got this huge surge of um, of work that now exists, and um, 
I'm um, doing a lot of um, uh, sort of heritage statements for people um, to accompany planning applications where they want to do works to a historic building, but they need an independent heritage assessment to accompany the application okay. so that the, uh, lo the local government people can understand what the impact will be on the special interest of the building. Um, we're um, helping um, uh, advise on the repair of a castle in the Lake District um, in the north of England, uh, Lyoff Castle on the side of Oldswater. Um, and then the boys have got um, so many timber framed uh, projects which extend from sort of doing the, the, the basic wattle and daub and clay and lime to modern eco breathable infill panel systems but Dan will explain more yeah the current project we're working on at the moment is a it's a Tudor hall um that's got incredible history along with it that used to have a, a big abbey next to the property and when Henry VIII was in reign and power he had it destroyed and the people from the hall the farm went and rummaged through the ruins and got a load of the uh, carvings and panel work and put that into their house. Uh, now this property that we're working on has got some incredible features in a farmhouse, but we're doing oh, a load wow. of timber frame repairs on that that have been uh, done about 30 years ago using cement mortars, um, which is uh, not not help the building at all, not allowing it to breathe. So we're going in there and putting breathable infill panels in, doing the timber frame repairs, so splicing new timbers in, trying to keep as much uh, as the old timber as possible, um, but then going in and putting the new breathable panel system in to uh, you know expel the moisture and allow the property to breathe as it should. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. We probably could do three more of these and and uh, not even scratch the surface of all that you've worked on. And um, we will put links in the show notes to, um, you know, your website and everything like that so people can find you and kind of um, connect with the work that you're doing. Um, before we go, the thing we ask, and, and everybody hems and haws and has a tough one with this, tough time with this, but um, if you if you had to pick one, what is your favorite historic site? Well, I suppose for me, in the UK, it's Ludlow, and in Romania, it's Sigishwara. Um, uh, I'd have to say Sigishwara. Is, and what uh, is Sigishwara? Tell us a little bit about that. It's a that. Me medieval fortified town in Transylvania. It's uh, sadly best known for the home of Dracula as well, in um, where he was born, wasn't it? Yeah, the first yes, place yes. of Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, yeah, Vlad the Impaler. So that's what it's, but no, it's just a stunning, um, it's a, a world heritage site. It's it? world heritage site. Yeah, so it's, uh, that, that, or, or Slo Slovenia. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Bohin or Lake Bled in Slovenia. Yeah. So. But one of the things, Nick, just, you, you triggered a memory, was that um, we had this really um, obscure request. Do you, do you get, Top Gear in the US with yes. Clarkson, Main Hammond. Well, we had this um, um, this uh, email um, that there was this project which involved the skills that we have, 
would we be interested in meeting this man in a hotel? Um, but we had to agree for it to be secret at the time. <laughs> and um, and it was so intriguing that uh, they said yes. And um, we went there and um, they wanted us to, to use our traditional skills in, with bricks and clay and bottle and all to make um, vehicles. Um, and once we got into it, they explained it was for a grand tour episode, episode four. Sure. And, um, um, what they were, it was a, um, a joke on the eco vehicle uh, theme in that uh, we, we had these um, Land Rover chassis and we had to build a vehicle out of bricks or out of clay and they were going to race them and uh, and um, come to the conclusion that eco vehicles weren't as good as modern vehicles but because we were asked to do so many we had to hire a unit from a local farmer and we weren't allowed to say before it was aired what we were doing so we had to say it was a university project looking at alternative materials for making cars and the farmer thought we were mad yeah. um, but when he saw it um, on the grand tour uh, he was highly amused yeah. well we'll have to put a link to that episode of the grand tour which i think is available on on netflix or amazon here in the states yeah. um this has been fascinating. We're, we're going to have you back and then we're going to figure out a way to get you on your uh, first grand tour of the United States here sometime soon. Uh, we, need to, we need to get you guys over and, and get you. There's a, there's a lime kiln about five minutes from my house. Uh, it needs to be refired. It hasn't been fired in about 150 years. But if, I think if, if, if two people can do it, it's, it's these two that we're talking to. So, um, Colin and Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, be well, stay healthy, and, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening and keep on preserving.